Section 7 of the Critique of Dogmatic Theology and Investigation of the Christian Teaching by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Leo Wiener. Chapter 5, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laurie Arsenault. Chapter 5. Of God Trine in Persons. Before proceeding to the disclosure of the dogma itself, I involuntarily stop at the words, quote, in persons, unquote. Quote, God's person, unquote. I have read and studied the exposition of the dogmas about the essence of God. There was no definition there of the word person, or hypostasis, which was used in the definition of the Trinity. Only in the passage where the anthropomorphists were refuted, it said that under the divine person we must understand, quote, the manifestation of God in his works, unquote. But that apparently has no reference to the Trinity. Maybe the definition of this word, so necessary for the comprehension of the Trinity, will become clear from the exposition itself. I proceed to read. Here is the introduction. Quote, the truths about God, one in essence, and about his essential attributes, so far expounded by us, do not embrace the whole Christian teaching about God. In acknowledging God to be one, we have not yet the right to call ourselves Christians. The one God is professed also by the Jews, who did not accept Christ the Saviour as the Messiah, and who reject Christianity. He is also professed by the Mohammedans, and has been admitted by many old and new heretics in the lap of Christianity itself. The full teaching about God, which is necessary to keep in the heart and profess with the lips, in order worthily to bear the name of Christian, consists in this, that God is one and trine, one in substance, trine in persons. Unquote. What does this mean? All the attributes of God, as given in the division about the essence of God, such as unlimitedness, immeasurableness, and the others, exclude the concept of person. The fact that God is a spirit is still less in agreement with persons. What then does, quote, in persons, unquote, mean? There is no answer to this, and the exposition goes on. Quote, this doctrine forms the radical, essentially Christian dogma. Directly upon it are based and, consequently, with its refutal, are inevitably refuted. The dogmas about our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, about our Sanctifier, the All-Holy Ghost, and after that, more or less, all the dogmas which refer to the house management of our salvation. And in professing God as one in essence and trine in persons. Unquote. In essence, God is one, and God, it was said in the preceding, is a spirit. 
in spite of the essence, it was said that God had fourteen attributes. All the attributes exclude the concept of person. What then is, quote, in persons? Unquote. There must then be still a third division. First it was, one, according to the essence, and two, according to the attributes. Now a third division is added, according to persons. On what is this division based? There is no answer, and the exposition goes on. Quote, By professing in this manner we differ not only from the pagans and certain heretics, who assumed many or two gods, but also from the Jews, and from the Mohammedans, and from all heretics who have recognized the one God only. Unquote. What do I care from whom I differ? The less I differ from other people, the better it is for me. What is a person? There is no answer, and the exposition is continued. Quote, but being the most important of all the Christian dogmas, the dogma about the Most Holy Trinity is at the same time the most incomprehensible. Unquote. That is the very reason why I thirst so much, if not for an explanation, at least for an expression which would be comprehensible. If it is entirely incomprehensible, there can be no answer. Quote, we saw a number of incomprehensible things when we expounded the doctrine about God, one in essence, and about his essential attributes, especially about his self-existence, eternity, omnipresence, unquote. There was nothing incomprehensible about that. All those were expressions from various sides of the first concept about the existence of God a concept which is familiar to every believer in God. These expressions were for the most part incorrectly used, but there was nothing incomprehensible in them. Quote, Many incomprehensible things shall we also see later on in disclosing the dogma of the Incarnation and person of our Savior about his death on the cross, about the ever-virginity of the Mother of God, about the action of grace upon us, and so on. But the mystery of Christian mysteries is indisputably the dogma about the Most Holy Trinity. Just as there are three persons in one God, so the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. However, not three gods, but one God. All this surpasses all understanding. Unquote. That is precisely what I want to know. A father of the church says, quote, What manner of reasoning, what power and might of the intellect, what vivacity of the mind and perspicacity of imagination will show me, how does the Trinity exist? And in another place, however, what it is, is unspeakable. No tongue of the angels, much less of men, can explain it. Unquote. The Trinity is God. What is God and how does he exist? That surpasses my imagination. But if the essence of God surpasses my understanding, 
I can know nothing about the essence of God. But if we know that he is the Trinity, it is necessary to say what we understand by this appellation. What do these words mean in relation to God? So far there have been no explanations of these words, and the exposition is continued. Quote, so this is the reason why the heretics who have tried to explain the truths of religion with their own intellect have stumbled over the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity more than over any other dogma. So, if at all anywhere, we must here more especially stick closely to the positive doctrine of the Church, which has guarded and defended this dogma against all heretical opinions, and which has expounded it for the guidance of the Orthodox with the greatest possible precision." Unquote. It is precisely this exposition that I am in search of, that is, I want to know what is meant by God 1 and 3. For if I say that I believe without understanding, and if anyone else say that he believes that God is 1 and 3, we are lying, for it is impossible to believe what we do not understand. It is possible to repeat with the tongue, but it is not possible to believe words which not merely have no meaning, but directly violate sound reason. Here is the way the Orthodox Church expounds this doctrine with precision. Quote, In the symbol of St. Gregory Thaumaturgus, the Bishop of Neo Caesarea, there is one God, Father of the Living Word, of wisdom and self-existing force, and of the eternal form, the perfect progenitor of the perfect, Father of the only begotten Son. There is one God, one from one, God from God, form and expression of the deity, active word, wisdom, containing the composition of all, and force building the whole creation, true Son of the true Father, the unseen of the unseen, the incorruptible of the incorruptible, the immortal of the immortal, the eternal of the eternal. And there is one Holy Ghost issuing from God, having appeared through the Son, that is, to men, life in which is the cause of the living, holy source, holiness offering sanctification. To him appears God the Father, who is above all and in all, and God the Son, who is through all. Trinity, perfect in glory and eternity, indivisible and inseparable in dominion. And so there is in the Trinity neither created nor ancillary, nor additive, which has not been before, or which will come later. The Father has never been without the Son, nor the Son without the Holy Ghost, but the Trinity is invariable, unchangeable, and always one and the same. Quote, In the Niceo-Constantinopolitan symbol, I believe in one God the Father, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten, born from the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, born, uncreated, of one substance with the Father, and in the Holy Ghost, the life-creating Lord, who proceedeth from the Father, 
who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Quote, in the symbol which is known under the name of that of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, this is the Catholic creed. Let us worship the one God in the Trinity, and the Trinity in the One, neither blending the hypostasis nor separating the essence. For different is the hypostasis of the Father, different that of the Son, and different that of the Holy Ghost. But that of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is one deity, an equal glory, a coeval grandeur. As the Father, so is the Son, and so is the Holy Ghost. Thus, God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Ghost, and yet not three gods, but one God. God is not created by anyone, nor born. The Son was not created by the Father himself, nor made, nor born, nor issued from him. And in this trinity nothing is first or last, nothing more or less, but the three hypostases are complete, coeval with each other and equal. That is the exposition with the greatest possible precision. I read further down. Examining more closely this doctrine of the Orthodox Church about the Most Holy Trinity, we cannot help observing that it is composed of three propositions, one general and two particular, which directly result from the general and disclose it through themselves. Quote, the general proposition is in God, one in substance, three persons or hypostases, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The particular propositions, the first, as it is one in essence, so three persons in God are equal to each other and uni-existent, and the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, not three gods, but one God. The second, however, as three persons they are different among themselves by their personal attributes. The Father is not born from anyone. The Son is born from the Father. The Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father. Unquote. I have not left out anything, hoping all the time to find an explanation. And what? The author not only does not find it necessary to explain what is said here, but, looking attentively at it, he finds here two subdivisions and he proceeds. As I get no definition not only of the persons of the Trinity, but even of the word person, though there is an unnecessarily detailed statement about the essence and the attributes of God, I involuntarily begin to suspect that the author and the church have no definition of this word, and so speak themselves not knowing what. My suspicion is confirmed by the following article. As always, after the exposition of an unintelligible dogma, there follows the exposition of the dispute which has led to this exposition. And here it says, quote, That God is one in substance and trine in persons, has unchangeably been professed by the Holy Church from the very beginning 
as is witnessed by its symbols and other incontrovertible proofs." Unquote. From what beginning remains unknown, but from common sense, from the historical data, even from the exposition given here and in Article 28 of the different opposing opinions, it is evident that there was no such beginning, and that the dogma was formed by degrees. Then follows a confirmation of the fact that the dogma was not formed by an indefinite, quote, very beginning, unquote, but at a very definite historical period of church history. Quote, but the manner of expression of this truth in the first centuries was unequal even among the orthodox teachers of the faith. Some used the words substantia, natura, in order to signify the essence or substance of God. Others, however, only a few of them, and rarely, used these words to designate the divine persons. Similarly, certain words, designated by persons in God, others, on the contrary, designated by these words the essence of God, and for the designation of the persons, used the words persona. The different use of the word hypostasis has even led to considerable disputes in the East, especially at Antioch, and for some time created discord between the Eastern and Western churches, of which the first taught that it was necessary to profess three hypostases in God, fearing a reproach of Sabellianism, while the others affirmed that there was but one hypostasis in God fearing a reproach of Arianism. To solve the misunderstanding, a council was called in Alexandria in the year 362, where together with St. Athanasius the Great, there were present bishops from Italy, Arabia, Egypt, and Libya. At the council, the representatives of both parties were heard, and it turned out that both sides believed precisely alike, differing only in words, both the Orthodox and those who said, quote, In God there is one essence and three hypostases, unquote, and the others who said, quote, In God is one hypostasis and three persons. Unquote. For the first used the word hypostasis instead of persona, while the latter used it instead of essence. Farther on it said, that if at first the words were used differently, or rather indifferently, in the 6th, 7th, and the following centuries, the concept appears as generally accepted, that is, hypostasis was used in reference to three, and essence to one. Thus, if I had the slightest hope of getting an explanation of what is to be understood by the word person, of that on the basis of which one equals three, I, after reading this exposition about the use of the words by the fathers, came to understand that such a definition, which is inevitably necessary for the comprehension of the Trinity, does not exist and cannot be. The fathers use words without ascribing any meaning to them, and so use them indiscriminately, now in one, and now in a contrary sense, 
and finally agreed not on the ideas but on the words the same is confirmed by what follows Quote, but while the orthodox teachers of the faith differed only in words invariably professing one god in the trinity and the trinity in one the heretics perverted that is now without any further explanation one is equal to the trinity and the trinity is equal to one but the holy fathers professed quote, the heretics perverted the very idea of the dogma some of them denying the trinity of persons in god while others admitted three gods unquote. again some say black and others say white both are wrong but we say black is white and white is black why is it so why because the church said so that is the tradition of those men who believe in that tradition here is the idea of the heretics who denied the trinity quote, even during the life of the apostles simon the magician taught that the father the son and the holy ghost were only manifestations and forms of the self-same person and that the one god in the capacity of father had revealed himself to the samaritans in the capacity of son as christ to the jews in the capacity of the holy ghost to the pagans in the second century praxis affirmed that one and the same god as concealed in himself was the father but as having appeared in the work of creation and later in the redemption was the son christ in the third century notus who also recognized the father and son as one person one god who had become incarnate and had suffered torment and death sibelius who had taught that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were only three names, three actions, of one and the same person, God, who had been incarnate and had suffered death for us, and Paul of Samosata, according to whose words the Son and the Holy Ghost were in God, as mind and strength were in man. In the fourth century, Marcellus of Ancria, and his disciple Photinus, they preached after Sibelius that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were only names of the self-same person in God, and after Paul of Samosata, that of the Son, or the Word, was the mind of God, and the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Unquote. Here is the conception of other heretics. Quote, the common idea of all these was that although the divine persons the father the son and the holy ghost were of one substance they were not one in substance and that they had one nature but had it each separately as for the example three persons of the human race and so were three gods and not one god Unquote. Without having the question answered whether the teaching of the heretics was true or false, I am unable to say that I understand what they have been saying. Similarly, without entering into a discussion as to whether it is right that God should be one and three, I am unable to say that I understand what it means, although the dogma is expounded in all its fullness, as the author avers. In all its fullness, 
the dogma is expounded as follows. Quote, Let us worship the one God in the Trinity, and the Trinity in the one, neither blending the hypostases nor separating the essence. Neither blending the essence, that is, recognizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, not merely as three names, or forms, or manifestations of the selfsame God, as the heretics have represented him, nor as three attributes, or forces, or actions, but as three independent persons of the Deity, since each of them, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, possessing a divine mind, and the other divine attributes, has his own personal properties. For one is the hypostasis of the Father, another of the Son, and still another of the Holy Ghost nor separating the essence, that is, affirming that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one in essence, exist inseparably one in the other, and, differing from each other only in their personal attributes, have an identity of mind, will, and all the other divine attributes. Not at all as there exist three entities of any class of beings among the creatures, entities that have one nature among the creatures let us speak with the words of saint john damascene the common nature of the entities is perceived only by the mind for the entities do not exist one in the other but each separate and distinct that is in itself and each has much to distinguish it from the others they differ in place and time in disposition of the will in firmness, in external appearance or form, in habits, in temperament, in worth, in the manner of life, and in the other distinctive properties, but most of all, because they do not exist one in the other, but each exists separately. For this reason we say, two, three, many men. But in the holy, transubstantial, all-surpassing, incomprehensible trinity, we see something different. Here the universality and unity are viewed, in fact, according to the co-eternality of the persons, according to the identity of the essentiality, activity, and will, according to the concord of definitions, according to the identity. I do not say similitude, but identity, of power, almightiness, and goodness, and according to the one tendency of motion. Each of the hypostases has a unity with the other, not less than with itself, that is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one in all respects, but ungeneratedness, birth, and derivation and are divided only in our ratiocination. For we know only one God, and only in the properties of fatherhood, sonhood, and derivation do we present a difference. In the unlimited deity we cannot assume, as in us, spatial distance, because the hypostases exist one in the other, but in such a way that they are not blended, but united, according to the words of the Lord, I am the Father, and the Father in me. 
John fourteen eleven. Nor distinction of will, definitions, activities, power, or anything else, which in us produce a real and complete division. Therefore we recognize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, not as three gods, but as one God in the Holy Trinity. The whole incomprehensibility of the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity consists precisely in this, that the three independent persons of the Deity are one in essence and entirely inseparable. If they existed separately one from the other, like three entities among the creatures, there would be nothing incomprehensible in that. The Deity is one and three, O most glorious transformation! What is united in essence is divided according to the persons. The indivisible is divided. What is one is troubled. That is, the Father, the Son, and the Living Spirit preserving all. Unquote. So here it is, all the doctrine, all the God-revealed truth, revealed to me in all its fullness for the sake of my salvation. Quote, the deity is one and three, O most glorious transformation. Unquote. The exposition and explanation are ended, and there will be nothing else. And this through the mouth of his church says God the Father to me, his Son, who with all my power am looking for truth and salvation. To my entreaty and tears of despair, he replies to me, quote, The indivisible is divided. What is one is troubled. That is the Father, the Son, and the living Spirit, preserving all, unquote. And to the demands of my reason, which has been given me for the comprehension of God, there is no other answer. I cannot say, nor can anyone else say, that I have comprehended it, and so I cannot say that I believe. With my tongue I can say that I believe that, quote, what is one is troubled, O most glorious transformation, unquote. But when I say that, I am a liar and an atheist, and it is precisely this that the church demands of me, that is, those people who assert that they believe in it. But that is not true. They do not believe, and nobody has ever believed it. What a marvelous phenomenon! Christianity will soon have existed for a thousand years in Russia. For a thousand years the pastors have been teaching their flocks the foundation of the faith. The foundation of the faith is the dogma of the Trinity. Ask a peasant, a countrywoman, what the Trinity is. Out of ten, hardly one will answer you. It cannot be said that that is due to ignorance. Ask them what the teaching of Christ consists in. Everybody will tell you. And yet the dogma of the Trinity is not complicated or long. Why, then, does no one know it? Because it is impossible to know what makes no sense. Then there follow proofs that these truths, that is, that God is a Trinity, have been revealed by God to all men. The proofs are divided into proofs from the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, 
which forms the teaching of the Jews, of those Jews who regard the Trinity as the greatest blasphemy, in this Old Testament do they look for proofs that God has revealed his threefold nature to men. Here are these proofs from the Old Testament. 1. Because God said, Let us make, and not, Let me make. That was so because he spoke with his Son and the Holy Ghost. 2. Because he said, Adam, one of us. By us are meant the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. 3. The Bible says, Let us confound their language, and not let me confound. Consequently, the three gods wanted to confound it. 4. Because three angels came to Abraham. Those were the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who came to see Abraham. 5. Because in the book of Numbers it is commanded that the word Lord should be repeated three times. 6. Because in David's Psalter it says, Their whole host, there proves the Trinity. 7. A proof of the Trinity is found in the fact that Isaiah said three times, Holy, Holy, Holy. 8. Proofs are found in all those passages of the Old Testament where the words Son and Spirit are used. Psalm 2, 7, Isaiah 48, 16, 11, 2, 61, 1, Job 33, 4. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day I have begotten thee. The Lord God and his Spirit hath sent me, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and so forth. Those are all the proofs from the Old Testament. I have not omitted a single one. The author sees himself that the proofs are poor, and that it is possible to find as many or even more proofs in any book you please, and so he thinks it necessary to give explanations. Later on he says, quote, And why they are not entirely clear, why it has pleased God to disclose in the Old Testament the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity only to a certain degree, that is concealed in the plans of his infinite wisdom. The godly teachers assumed for this two main causes. One lay in general in the property of human nature, which was limited and impaired, and had to be led to the knowledge of the highest mysteries of revelation only by degrees in proportion to its unfolding and strengthening and receptivity. It was not without danger, reasons St. Gregory the Divine, before professing the divinity to preach clearly the Son, and before the Son had been called, I shall express myself rather boldly, to weigh us down with the sermon about the Holy Ghost, and to subject us to danger and make us lose our last strength, as is the case with people who are burdened with food which is not taken in measure, or who direct their feeble vision to the sun's light. It was necessary for the treble light to shine on the illuminated by progressive additions, as David says, by ascensions. Psalm 84, 5 progressions from glory to glory, and advancements. Another cause lay in the quality and weakness of the Jewish nation, 
to whom the Old Testament revelation was made. God in his infinite wisdom, says the blessed Theodoret, was not pleased to communicate to the Jews any clear idea of the Holy Trinity, in order that they might not find in this a good cause for worshipping many gods, since they had been so prone to follow the Egyptian abomination. This is the reason why, after the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews felt such a distinct loathing for polytheism, we meet in their sacred and even profane books many more passages than before in which the divine persons are mentioned. We must observe at last that in picking out the places from the Old Testament which contain references to the Most Holy Trinity, we had in view mainly to prove that the teaching about this mystery is by no means so new in the New Testament as the latter Jews say, and that the pious men of the Old Testament believed in the same tri-hypostatic God, in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in whom we believe. But the foundation of this most important of all the Christian dogmas is beyond doubt contained in the books of the New Testament. End of section 7. Recording by Laurie Arsenault.